What's the most important commandment of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament? What's the most important one? What's the one lesson that I need to hear? And Jesus tells him what we call the greatest commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And from there, then, Jesus left. Jesus is saying, you know, love God with as hard as you can with everything you've got. Love your neighbors yourself. That's it. That's what it all boils down to. Love God as hard as you can with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. So from there, he and the disciples go out to the Mount of Olives, just east of the temple area. And they're sitting there, and Jesus begins to give what's called the Olivet Discourse. Now, it's so named Olivet Discourse, not for the wonderful Nazarene College in Bourbonnais, Illinois, uh, which our students are going to be leaving for this week. Some are already there. Pray for Olivet. Would you pray, pray, pray for Olivet? That's not why it's called. It's called that because this is a, a, a lesson that Jesus is teaching from the Mount of Olives. And this lesson begins when the disciples are, are overlooking the temple. And remember, the temple is glorious. King Herod had built it. It began being built in the year 19 AD. And, and Herod's idea was he was going to make this fabulous temple so that people and the people of the day would have thought that he was the Messiah because he was building this fabulous, fabulous temple to God. And it was fabulous. It was 35 football fields in size. There, there were parts of the building that were 15 stories high. The, the, the walls were, were, were laden with gold. The roof was made of gold. It's gorgeous. You could see it for miles. It was powerful. And the disciples are looking at this and they say, Look, teacher, the wonderful stones of that wonderful building. Isn't that awesome, Jesus? Look at that. You know, some of those stones, if you've been to the Temple Mount, and some of you have, you've been to Israel, and there's still some there, and they're huge. They're the size of a boxcar. They're huge. And you think, how in the world did they even get them there? It was slave labor. It took, you know, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of slaves. And disciples are very impressed by all this. Look, Jesus, look at this. But Jesus, he's, he's not all that impressed. He says, do you see these, these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another. Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple that's going to take place in the year 8070, which does take place. So that's the context for the rest of this chapter, the 13th chapter. Some have described the 13th chapter as the most difficult passage in the Gospels to interpret or, 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 or understand. And I've got 27 minutes to tell you and explain to you Everything that Jesus was meaning in these, uh, that's impossible. There's no way we're going to be able to cover everything in Mark 13. Remember, the, the idea, the notion that the temple could be destroyed to these disciples would have been very disheartening. To any Jew, it would have been disheartening that the, the temple... We talked a little bit about it last week. The temple, that was seen as the place where heaven meets earth. They couldn't imagine worshiping without the temple. But last week, we, we pointed out that, 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 that now, now that's us. Now we're the place where heaven meets earth. That Jesus can live in us. Paul said that we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
but for those disciples sitting there on the Mount of Olives overlooking this splendid, gorgeous place. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. And so the four fishermen, James, John, Peter, Andrew, they come to Jesus and they tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things will be accomplished? We want to know the, the what's and the when's, Jesus. When is this all going to happen? And what's it going to look like when it does? Give us numbers. Give us facts. Give us, give us timelines, Jesus. Life would be so much easier if we, if we just knew exactly what to plan for. Give us the when's and the what's, Jesus. Have you prayed those type of prayers? Sure, probably all of us have, right? When is this going to happen? Lord, Lord, when, when, when will you answer that prayer? And it's so easy to get impatient with God. When is this all going to happen, God? And what prayers aren't much, much better, really? You know, God, couldn't you just write something in the sky so I would know what you want me to do? Just, just write it there, what doors to go through, what job to accept, what, what gal or guy to marry, what, what, uh, what should I do with the future, what should I do with my kids this fall? What, God, just, just write it out on some wall. But Jesus doesn't, does, doesn't do that. He doesn't do that for the disciples then. He doesn't do it to us. I've never heard, uh, I've never seen in the sky, you know, Rob do this. I've never heard an audible voice, Rob, go this way. It's never happened. And it, and it doesn't happen for the disciples either. Jesus, Jesus doesn't really, really, really answer their questions specifically as it seems like they are asking. In fact, Jesus proceeds to give them some instructions about the destruction of the temple. That's what, again, is the context of this passage. But then he, he, then he goes back and gives us a glimpse of his return in this passage. And then he goes back and talks about the temple a little bit. Then he goes back and talks about his return. It gets kind of confusing, quite honestly. But I think there's a lesson running through this, a thread, if you will, that in crazy times, or Jesus' return, or whatever else is going on in the world, the main lesson is keep your eye on the prize. We, we sang it this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's, that's the lesson, and that's the good lesson, and that's the important lesson. Jesus begins with kind of a very general and broad context for the destruction of the temple. He says this in verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and he will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines, and be, these will be, are the beginning of the birth pains. Ah, all right, boys, you want to know what's going to happen? Well, before the destruction of the, of the temple, there's going to be false prophets and wars and rumors of wars and, and, and earthquakes. Oh, yeah, and famines. Don't forget the famines. Jesus, yikes. This sounds pretty bad. I mean, these are, these are very troubling things, destruction of the temple and all this stuff. Every one of them sounds bad. There's going to be religious uncertainty, false teachers, social political upheaval, wars, rumors of wars. Natural disasters, earthquakes, famines. All these things are terrible. Jesus, terrible, scary, frightening. And it even sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? Now, again, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple that take place in AD 70, but it sounds a little bit like today. Sounds a little bit like 2020. It, but, you know, if someone were reading this passage, Mark 13, in the 60s, 
They just said, wow, there's a war going on in Vietnam, and there's, there's social unrest in the streets. Sounds like today. Or if someone were reading this passage, Mark 13, in the 40s, they said, the world is at war. We've got war in Europe, and we've got war in the, in the Pacific, and there's war in Africa, and Hitler is there, and the Holocaust is going, that sounds like today. It's got to be today. And if someone were reading this in the, in the late 19-teens, you know, World War I going on, and then immediately after that, the Spanish flu wipes out, you know, millions of people. Wow, this is today. It's got to be today. Why is it? Why does every generation think it's their generation? I, 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 think, I think it's because, you know, welcome to the human existence until Jesus returns. Jesus said this, not in Mark 13, but in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Don't be shocked by it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It does sound like today. Of course it sounds like today. There's religious uncertainty. On July 20th, just three weeks ago, this is hot off the press. Pew Research, uh, an organization that does polling across the country, the world. Pew Research said that 29% of Americans say that religion is not very important or not important at all in their life. 29% of Americans. When I was pastoring in Bad Axe 30 years ago, that number was less than 10%. I think it was around 5 or 6%. Now it's 29% and rising. That survey also found that and showed that the importance of God is in rapid decline in the United States. There's more atheists in America today than ever before. False prophets? I guess if you're denying that there's a God, that's a false prophet. Or if you're denying that, that God can do anything about our circumstances, that's a false prophet. Now again, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, but it sounds like today. He says there's not only going to be false prophets, but there's going to be wars and rumors of war. I googled, I googled current wars. You can do this if you want. Google current wars. And I break it down into three different sections. There's major wars, which is uh, 10,000 and above casualties last year. Major war. 10,000 and above. That'd be a major war. There's wars, so as opposed to just a major war, there's just normal, everyday, regular wars that results in 1,000 to 10,000 deaths last year. And then there's what they describe as a minor conflict, which I don't think it'd be very minor if I was between one of those 100 and 1,000 that were killed. So major wars, wars, and minor conflicts. Do you know how many are going on right now? There's major wars in these countries, Afghanistan, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and the Mexican drug war is listed and included in there. Countries in war, 1,000 deaths. Kenya, Congo, Algeria, Burkina Fasco, Chad, Syria, Libya, Mali, Murcherinia. I don't even know where Murcherinia is. I had to Google it. It's in Western Africa. Morocco, Nigeria, Tunisia, Chad, India, Pakistan. Those are all current declared wars going on right now, right now, right now. Minor conflicts are in Myanmar, Egypt, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, Thailand, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Uganda, Central African Republic, Ukraine, Cameroon, Mozambique, Iran, and China. Wars and rumors of wars. Sounds like today, Jesus. And then Jesus is talking about uh, natural phenomena, earthquakes, famines, those things, disasters going on. Yeah, well, yeah, just this week, there were hurricanes on the East Coast, fires on the West Coast, pandemic on every coast, and then, of course, the terrible disaster and explosion in Beirut. And I've heard preachers, you've heard them, prophets, Facebook, lighten up. These must be the end times. Jesus comes back, final straw. Maybe, yes, maybe. 
But I think there's a bigger lesson in here than that. Whether these are the last days or not. If you have your Mark journal, get them out. You need to underline this. It's in Mark 7, 13, 7. Don't underline wars and rumors of wars. Underline this. Do not be alarmed. Some versions say, do not be troubled. False teachers, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pandemics, all troubling times. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't be alarmed. Jesus, how can I not be alarmed? These are troubling, troubling things. And Jesus says, listen, I've got this. That's why. Don't be alarmed. In every single funeral that I preach, every single one, at some point in the funeral, sometimes at the beginning, sometimes it's at the end, sometimes it's in the middle, but in every single funeral, I've, I've preached over, well over a thousand funerals in the last 30 years, in every single one, I quote John 14, 1. Why do I do that? That's the passage that says, do not be, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Every single funeral, same thing that Jesus is saying here in Mark 13. Don't be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. How can I say that? Why do I say that in every single funeral? I'll tell you why. Because, because when, when your best, your hopes or your dreams, your love is lying in a casket, when your world has come crashing down, Jesus has promised us that we are not alone. Even in our darkest place, we are not alone. He is with us. And so Jesus is telling the disciples all these troubling things that are going to happen. False ideologies and teachers and wars and rumors of wars and all these national disasters and, 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 and natural disasters and pandemics and you name it. He, but then he, don't be alarmed, don't be alarmed, don't be alarmed. Now hear me, don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled is not the same as be unconcerned. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying be indifferent. Jesus is not saying be, be callous to all these terrible things going on around you. In fact, Jesus, Jesus, that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus' point is, is saying is not to step out of people's pain and experience. Rather, Jesus is saying, saying listen, when everything's going crazy around you, when there's false ideologies, wars, rumors of wars, pandemics, and all this other junk going on, step into that experience, into folks' pain, into their troubles, into their worries. You step into them with what? With the hope and the peace and the joy and the, and the promise of Jesus. It's not saying, oh boy, well, Jesus is coming again. I'm good to go, but too bad for you. That's not Jesus' point at all. Jesus' point is saying, don't be alarmed. Don't give in to the frenzy. Don't contribute to the fury. Don't add to the angst. Don't waste your time in conspiracy theories. Come on, Jesus is saying, don't be troubled. Jesus is with us, my brothers and sisters. Jesus is with us. This pandemic was not a surprise. Jesus is with us. Do not fear. You might also want to underline in verse 7, the end is not yet. Wait a minute, Facebook says the end is now gotta be now all these terrible things are taking place gotta be now jesus said i mean again he's talking to disciples specific situation the end is not near and then he goes on in verse eight to say these are but the beginnings of the birth pains 
He said, these are the beginnings. And now again, he's talking about birth pains to a bunch of guys. Guys don't know anything about birth pains. You know, they get, they get a paper cut. Ah! You know, I had a brain hemorrhage, and women tell me, amateur. You know, I, I get it. Jesus, but, but these guys, so these guys didn't know the pain of childbirth, but they knew the joys of childbirth. Back then, women didn't go, there's not sterile hospitals with doctors on standby and monitors and all the rest when babies were born. No, they were born in their house. The houses were close together, especially in Jerusalem. They were one on top of one another. And so they knew, they knew the joy. They didn't know the pain of childbirth, but they knew what happens. They could hear it next door in their own house. They knew, they knew the process. And they knew the result was, a, was, yippee, it's a boy, yippee, it's a girl, whoo. And Jesus is telling these guys, these are the beginning of the birth pains. Yes, yeah, yeah, you, you endure some of these things. Some of these things are terrible. False ideologies, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pandemics, you name it. But what's the end? What do we call it? The bundle of joy. What, what's the end? Keep your eye on Jesus. That's the theme that's running through this. Keep your eye, keep your eye on Jesus. All right, oh my goodness, 13 minutes left. The rest of chapter 13, again, it has baffled theologians and Bible scholars for centuries now. It's a head-scratcher. Jesus flips between destruction of the temple, second coming, destruction of the temple, second coming. It gets confusing. What did Jesus exactly mean? When, where, how, why? When, when's the temple, how is the temple going to be destroyed? Or what is this about the second coming? And some people have made charts and graphs and timelines and detailing all this stuff. And of course, we don't have time for that in now 12 minutes. But this is what matters. Whether it's the destruction of the temple in AD 70 or a pandemic in 2020 or Jesus' return whenever that day may be, Jesus repeatedly says over and over and over in Mark 13, be on guard, be on guard, watch out, don't be deceived. When waiting for Jesus' return or enduring crazy days, his lesson, be on guard, watch out, don't be deceived. The first be on guard appears in verse 9. He says, be on guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake and, bear and, and to bear witness before them. Clearly, Jesus is talking about the disciples right here. And he goes on to say, listen, it isn't going to be easy, boys. They're going to treat you like they're going to treat me. And this isn't for the faint of heart. He goes on to say, fathers and brothers, even children, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This isn't what you put on a recruiting poster. You know, come and be hated by all. Join the team. Remember, this is Jesus' final week. A few days ago, they had been shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and three more days, they're going to be shouting, crucify him. And Jesus is saying, listen, boys, it's going to happen to you. Make no mistake, people are going to hate you for my, mistake, for my name's sake. So Jesus is describing all of these terrible things that are going to happen before the destruction of the temple. And all of that did happen, by the way. Every single disciple, except for John, was martyred for his faith. The temple, as I've already said, was destroyed in AD 70, so in about 30 years, 35 years maybe, the temple is going to be no more, and in 35, 40 years, all those disciples are going to be no more. And Jesus is saying, be on your guard. They're going to come against you. And in verse 23, it's the next be on guard. And again, it's regarding the destruction of the temple. He says, preceding that be on guard, he talks about all these horrible events that are going to take place. 
as the magnificent uh, structure is reduced to rubble. How did that happen? Well, it happened when, when the Roman emperor uh, uh, Titus Titan comes in and, and destroys the city. He makes an order to not destroy the temple, but that order is not heard, and the temple is burned. The fire is so hot that it melted the gold on the facade, it melted the roof, it melted into the, the, the masonry, and the soldiers in their quest for that melted gold in the masonry literally turned the temple tore it apart stone by stone by stone, brick by brick. The zealots who had, had turned their, their home base, if you will, into the temple were completely wiped out, and every Jew in the city was also wiped out. Jesus was 100% right. Now again, we don't have time to get into all the nitty-gritty, but I, do need, I, I need to at least step into one little piece because this gives people heartburn. Verse 14. The abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be. Who in the world is Jesus talking about? The abomination of desolation. Term goes back to Daniel 9. Jesus is referring back to Daniel 9. Who's this guy? Bible scholars, people have been questioning, who's this guy? Some say it was a Syrian king, Antiochus IV. He's the guy that sacrificed pigs in 165 B.C. Some think it's the Roman uh, 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 emperor uh, who's going to be the emperor in about five years that's going to want to put his own statue in the temple. Horrible. Some think it's the, the high priest, Fanny, who was the, the high priest when the zealots were in charge, would be right before uh, the city is totally destroyed in 70 A.D. Fanny was a horrible, horrible, corrupt, terrible, high priest, terrible. Some say it's the Roman soldiers who after the, the temple was completely destroyed and after they tore it down piece by piece, they put, planted flags in the temple ground, flags to their pagan gods, and they offered sacrifices. Some say it's them. Some say it's at the end times of the Antichrist. Who's Jesus talking about? I think, again, Jesus' point was not to spur all this end-time speculation. I, I've known too many people that have tried to wrap their minds around uh, end-time stuff, and they spend hours and hours and hours trying to decipher this and that, and they, they want to make sure they get it all in their head. And I sometimes wonder if they got all of Jesus in their heart. They need to worry about getting Jesus in their heart. And I honestly think Jesus' point, again, he's saying over repeatedly, repeatedly, be on guard, be on guard, stay awake, stay awake. He's saying the temple is, and, and, and Jerusalem are going to be destroyed. And when that happens, you've you got to get out of town. Head for the hills, and the Christians did in 70 AD. Because it's going to be rough, and you need to be prepared. Christian, that's, that's, a lesson, that's a good lesson for us, no matter what times are. No matter if there's armies parked outside the camp or not, whether, whether we think these are the last days or whether we've got another thousand years, whether we're enduring a pandemic or not, these are still important lessons. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Whether Jesus returns soon or far, we need to be ready. Can I tell you that is my biggest, my number one concern about this pandemic is that is that some of us aren't ready, is that discipleship isn't taking, if all, if all you're getting, let me just be as straight as I could possibly be, if all you're getting, if your spiritual development is this one hour, or watching online one hour, this one hour, 
you are not getting enough discipleship. And you know, we're having this 24-7 prayer week, and, and we need you to pray, whether you've signed up or not, we need you to pray, but we need you to be in your word. And this is not a time to draw away from the Lord. This is a time when we need to draw near the Lord. And I'm afraid one of the outcomes of the pandemic is going to be, if I can put it this way, I think it's going to expose the posers for who they were. And I think there is going to be a, a falling away of sorts. The longer this goes on, the longer it will be. We need to draw near to Jesus. Because we don't know where, you know, forget the pandemic. We don't know what our future holds. That was true long before all of this started breaking loose in whatever day it started breaking loose. You need to be ready. You need to make sure your heart is right. Don't worry about getting everything straight up in your brain, although that's always fine, but make sure your heart is right. Because then Jesus, Jesus goes on then to do, I don't know if we can say it this way, but Jesus starts, it seems like he's doing a little daydreaming. He's just told all these horrible things. They're going to hate you. The temple's going to be destroyed. You know, there's earthquakes and famines and all this junk going on. Head for the hills. But then Jesus, then Jesus thinks about that glory. All that terrible stuff is going to happen, but... Verse 26, and then you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he'll send out angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Yes, these, there's going to be some rough days, but boys, there's also going to be a glorious, wonderful day. Never forget, there's going to be a great day. The end of the day, and there's going to be a bundle of joy. Do you remember what the angels told the disciples Jesus when he was ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1? It says, why do you stand there looking for the sky? That same Jesus who's been taken from, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. That's going to be a glorious day. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, wrote, with a loud command, with a voice from the archangel and the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will first rise. After that, we who are still alive and will be left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. <laughs> Encourage one another with these words. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's going to be all this terrible stuff. People hating you and earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and blah, blah, blah. But boys, never forget. It's a bundle of joy. Keep your eye on the prize. Don't forget. That's a good lesson for us. Pandemic, no pandemic. It's just saying, I'm going to trust Jesus through it all. Whatever comes. I'm Lord, you are great. And we want to proclaim that good news. Yes, there are troubling times. And most generations have faced troubling times. And you have seen those faithful through those troubling times. And Lord, we believe you're going to see us through these troubling times. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you're going to, Lord, we don't know when you're coming back. We do know this, you are coming back. And when you do, we want to be ready, not just us or our family. We want everybody to be ready. And the way we can help make that happen is just loving you with everything we've got and loving our neighbor as ourselves and not forgetting that we are yours and keeping our eyes on the prize who is Jesus.